Luke 9, verse 51 to 10:37. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. 
Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of God. Good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can sing incredible words. We pray that your spirit will stir our hearts when we confess to your goodness, to your kindness, to your glory. And as we look at your word this morning, may you indeed uh, write it uh, by your spirit on our hearts. Give us uh, increased conviction, increased um, thankfulness, increased uh, resolve to follow you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Good. So we are eventually back into Luke. Are you excited again? We've uh, had a bit of a detour, um, looking at other things, important things. Uh, good for us to look at issues like suffering. Uh, I hope you are suffering well uh, in the last uh, two weeks, specifically as we looked at that uh, as a topic. Uh, I hope you are, are more free to share your sufferings. I hope you are more free to share others 
uh, and with their sufferings. And some of you have. So I want to thank the congregation for your ongoing support of France and our Florian. Uh, some of you don't know, may not know, Florian is in hospital in Tigerberg. He has a heart valve problem. Uh, they are looking for a pig that they can find a valve and uh, put it into his heart. Um, he is in good spirits. Um, it's been a very uh, good experience for him personally. Uh, he's valued your concern and love for him, so he keeps on telling us we must tell you. Um, some of you don't know Florian that well. Uh, if you do get to know him well, he's a very interesting character, um, and to hear him being full of thankfulness is quite amazing. Um, he's a real artist, so he is, suffers from you know, ups and downs, uh, so it's fantastic to hear his testimony uh, as he is uh, recovering and not exactly sure when the operation will be, uh, hopefully in the next uh, week, let's hope, let's pray, um, he will be able to have the operation. Uh, so yeah, so it's great. Thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your concerns. Um, and I know that there are others of you who are suffering in silence. Um, so I hope that you've seen the church can love when you suffer. So reach out. Make yourself vulnerable. All right, good. Let's have a look. So we're going to start with Luke again. And I thought we'll do a pretty long section this morning. Uh, I'll try and be quick. Uh, Derek was quick at least, so I can be long. Is that right, Derek? Um, uh, so it's a long section, but it's a section that kind of connects together, um, uh, and that is uh, what I want us to set out. So we're not going to go into all the details uh, this morning of this. If you have questions, I've given you some little uh, spaces there that you can write them down and go and ask them tonight um, as we look at this. But what is interesting, uh, as I was preparing, I um, looked at uh, what makes it so difficult for us to reach our goals. Um, and I found some very interesting stuff on the, on the Internet. Um, they reckon that if you know what is good for you and you want to do it, that uh, you'll find that you often always succeed. Is that right? You hardly ever succeed. You know it's good for you. You know you must make changes. You are determined to make those changes. You are driven to make those changes. And they say on average, if that is how you approach it, you will most likely fail. When you're driven, you will fail. When you are pulled, you will succeed. It's really weird. When you can almost see yourself in those pair of jeans, when you, f you feel literally how it feels like to have those jeans on, it's funny, it's much easier to say no to the cake and to all the things that come along. It's a, it's a different mindset, and they, they try to work out how to help you to renegotiate your goals so that you're not driven to get there because that's tiring. If you are pulled, it seems like it's better. It's very interesting. So as I was reading, I found something other very weird. Gorillas. You know, I, me, me and my daughter had discussion about gorillas and orangutans. I can't remember why. But a gorilla is very interesting because a gorilla is very powerful. It's about six times more powerful than a human on average. Um, but funny enough, a gorilla doesn't have very strong push power, but he's got very strong pull power. It's very weird. The silverback's great strength is that physically he can pull, but also he pulls the group of gorillas behind him. So physically he's stronger in pulling, and he is in stature strong in pulling the group to follow him. I just thought that was quite weird. <laughs> we're doing here. But we're looking at this. We're looking at our goals. We're looking at Jesus. And Luke's gospel is written in two major blocks. 
So the first half of Luke, not the first half, the first nine chapters of Luke is all about Jesus coming from heaven to earth to show who he is, that he is God's Christ. And then he makes the thing, once they identify this, he says, now believe and follow me. The second part of Luke's gospel is all about Jesus going back to heaven. So if you go to chapter 9, verse 51, I'm sure you've seen that. He says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So Jesus came down from heaven to show himself, to make himself known, to tell the world what God's Messiah looks like. Now he's on his way back to heaven, but specifically via Jerusalem. And that will become clearer as to why as we go along. So that's physically true. Jesus came down from heaven to earth. He was born. He lived. He showed all his miracles. Now he's on his way back to heaven via Jerusalem. And he's inviting the disciples to follow him on this way back to heaven via Jerusalem. So for Jesus, it was a physical route. To go that way. And anybody at this stage who wanted to be a disciple had to physically follow him down that road. But obviously for us, it's going to be a bit tricky to follow him physically because you are in Cape Town. And Jerusalem is a bit far away to get there. So we're not following Jesus physically on the way, but we are following his way of doing things. And so there's a, what do we call it, metaphorical reality to this way. There is a spiritual reality to the way. So when we read this, you're going to find now, I hope, that Luke is going to be much nicer and easier to work through because this now applies to us following Jesus Christ. The beginning was all about his miracles and stuff. And we're like, yeah, yeah, we know Jesus the Christ. What's the big deal? So it's very hard to get excited about the first half of Luke. second half is going to be hopefully better as you're starting to see what is Jesus' way of doing things. Not just physically walking, but what is his way of relating and what is important to him and what is his priorities? And literally, as we will see, he is starting to pull the disciples all the way along the road via Jerusalem back to heaven. He's the one who walks in front. He's the one who does it first. He's the one who does it, obviously, perfect is what we believe. So he's the one who walks in front of us and he is pulling us along. As we look at him, as we see his glory and his beauty and his ability, we say, well, that is what is my future. When I have to be like Jesus and push myself, I tend to fail. But when I am pulled by Jesus, I put in effort and it's easier. It's weird, isn't it? The one is effort that doesn't work so well and the other one is effort that works well. So it's just interesting, I found, that this is where we're going. So interesting enough, if you don't know that, Christians were only called Christians quite late in the first century time. They were called, anyone knows? Guess what were Christians called in, as a group? People of the way. That's how they were identified. Who are you now? I'm one of those people on the way. Where are you? On the way following Jesus back to eternity. That's what they were called. They, were, they stood out as people who are on the way. They are like Jesus people. That's what they were saying. And that's what is the disciples. So it's just interesting. Only later were they called Christians, and that was a derogatory term, and then it became and it stuck, and so we are called Christians today. But actually, we are people on the way. And so this section sets out the first kind of parameters and perspective of what it looks like as Jesus is training his disciples to be on the way. So we're going to quickly run through it. There are six stories that Luke has kind of put together for us. They don't follow 
literally, chronologically, but Luke has put them together for us so that we can have an overarching understanding of what it means to follow Jesus on the way. Is that all right? You still with me? All right, so we go quick. So the first one, we, uh, in chapter 9, verse 51 to 56, Jesus is on his way now. He sets out, he sends out his guys. So there are some of the details here that is not repeatable, and we're not going to try and spend all the time working that out. If you get stuck with the detail, some of the detail are, is repeatable, some of it's not. We have to work that through as we go along. Um, but here he's sending them out, and he sends them into a Samaritan town, and the Samaritans and the Jews uh, both believed that they knew God really, but they hated one another. And so when these guys heard that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, they rejected him. As a Jew going to Jerusalem, they rejected him, and the disciples have a very kind and compassionate response to their rejection. Father, shall we call down fire from heaven to destroy them? So Jesus says, as you follow, you can know that some people will not understand what the way is and how we will get there, and there will be rejection. Because they don't know, when they hear you talk, they will reject you. And when they reject you, do not retaliate by killing them. All right? So maybe if the Crusaders read that part of Luke, Christianity would have not sat with this baboon on our, this silverback gorilla on our back that we as Christians force people to become Christians and they don't, we kill them. Because that's what the Crusaders did. They obviously did not follow Jesus. They followed their understanding of what it means to be a Christian. So Jesus, you can expect rejection, but do not retaliate when you are rejected. First thing you need to learn. Because the second little paragraph, and we already looked at that and, and, and Sean explained that to us, is simply because this is not your home. You don't expect to be welcomed here because you're not aiming to live here. The Son of Man... He's not living here. He's going via this. He'll come back again one day. But now he's not living here. So this is not your home. So don't expect to be welcomed by people. That also means that the kingdom takes priority above any other relationship, even over your family. Jesus says it in many different ways. Here he just simply says the kingdom is first. Your family in that sense is second. Not nothing. Second. You must make sure you are following in the kingdom line. Your family is not your security, the kingdom is. And you have to have that priority. Since you're not aiming to live here, don't put your mind and your heart there. And then don't look back once you've started. So if you've started on this journey, don't turn around and look back. And I take it that's maybe a little bit of a reference even to Israel. You remember they came out of Egypt and they were halfway through the... No. They were two and a half feet into the desert and they wanted to go back and say, Ah, oh, we had... Watermelon and cucumbers and all sorts of lovely things there. You want to go back? And many of them died in the desert because they could not perceive the destination and did not have a pull on them. They were trying to do it by their own strength. And when they failed, they wanted to turn to where it's comfortably numb. Isn't that right? Pink Floyd, where's some Pink Floyd people? Lovely song, Comfortably Numb. We want to return to what is comfortably numb. It's not great, but hey, it's at least familiar and it's comfortable. But this moving on, moving away from the normal way of living is uncomfortable. And so Jesus is saying, this is the direction. That's why you don't retaliate, because you are not about trying to build heaven on earth. 
at this stage, you are trying to get people first to heaven, and then one day heaven will come down to earth. Yes. But not now. We're not building heaven on earth. We are actually aiming for heaven in that sense. You see how weird the topography of heaven is? It's upside down. You want to be first, you've got to be last. You want to be great, you've got to be the least. You want to go up, you've got to go down. You want to be down, you've got to go up. Always the other way around. And he's helping them saying, don't aim for this. Don't get settled here. So don't be upset when people reject you. And as you go along, the next little section, Jesus then sends out the 72. This time he sends them to Jewish areas. He gives them a Jewish way of communication. They are heralds. They are people running with good news. So that's why you're not allowed to take anything with you because you are urgently running. Don't take a bag. Don't hang around. Don't chat. I've got a message to deliver and you go. Prepare the people. Shout at them. Listen. Peace to you in the name of the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. And if you want it, it's yours. And I'll stay with you to explain it to you as long as possible I can. If you don't want it, then there is a sign of rejection, not rejection. Not retaliation, but a sign that if you reject this message, you are setting yourself up for being rejected on the day of judgment. Does it make sense? See how subtle that is? He's not telling them, if you read that carefully, they must reject those who do not accept. He says you must indicate to them that when you reject the word of peace with God through the gospel, you are actually setting yourself up for judgment on the day of judgment, but not now, on that day. And the passage makes that quite clear. But you've got to read it carefully. So again, he doesn't say when people reject you, you reject. He says, no, no, when you reject, you are warning them that they are rejecting the gospel, and therefore they're rejecting God, Jesus' Father. Does it make sense? So it's actually quite straightforward. So as you go, you pray. You pray that many, many, many of those who follow will have this mindset, that they will know that this is not life. I'm not aiming for you. So I proclaim the message of peace to Jesus Christ. And when people don't want it, you say to them, listen here, you know what you are doing. And in those days it was easy. So they had this custom of dusting off their feet, so you knew what they were saying. We need to probably find another way of doing it because nobody will know what the heck you're doing if you stand in front of their house and kick the dust off your feet. They wouldn't understand what you're saying. Those people would understand it. It's culturally conditioned. So we don't do the cultural thing, but we do the same concern thing. So you're saying, listen, if you reject this, the implications is eternal. It's a serious matter. You go out proclaiming peace first. I take it Jesus is the ultimate example. He was full of grace and truth. Peace first. You don't want peace, then know that you are rejecting truth. And therefore, there's judgment. Every decision has a consequence. We live in that world. It's just how it is. God has made the world like that. It doesn't always happen immediately, yes, but it does happen eventually. And there's the warning. So it's urgent. But it starts with peace. It's always ready for peace. First, there's peace to you through Jesus Christ. That's the declaration of the gospel. You reject peace, well, well, you reject peace. Then what can you expect will be the outcome eventually? Judgment. You see how it works? So as we go along, we have to work. How do we preach the gospel as we go along? Do we tell people, hey, dry of braai? Is that how we preach it? Or do we actually offer the peace and the grace and the kindness and the compassion 
of God in Christ Jesus. And once they reject that, then you say, but you know what? When you reject peace, do you know that you are rejecting peace? Do you know what the implications of that rejection? See how it works? So when I said kind of think hard and clear, it's not a simple message that Jesus has, but it's a very clear message. Knowing where you're going affects your attitude to everything, and it puts the gospel up front, and you want people to hear that and to understand that. And you will hang around them as long as they are open to hear. See, there's another there's lots of detail here. It's very fascinating. As long as there are people who want to hear, speak to them. Invite them. It's a massive invitation. The gospel is the invitation to come and receive the peace that God is bringing through Jesus Christ. But it does come with a warning. Because every decision has a consequence. And that is an important reality to pick up. Later on, Jesus is going to readdress some of these kind of funny things. Don't take this, don't take that. In chapter 22, he's going to say, don't do that anymore. Now you do evangelism differently. But just to keep you in tab. So this was a very peculiar way of doing it. The next little section, uh, verses uh, 17 to 20. Here they are, guys are very excited uh, because they are actually being effective in the kingdom. And they are very happy that the evil spirits are sub- submitting to them. And Jesus says, that's great that they are submitting to you. But really the most important thing for you is not to get excited about that. But is to get excited that your names are written in heaven itself. It's written there by someone else. It's not your performance that writes it in there. It is written there for you by me. As the gospel goes out, Satan falls out of heaven, says Jesus. But don't get excited about that. Get excited that you're actually on your way to the life that is eternal through the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a great certainty. You can be sure that your names are written there as you follow this gospel. It's not based on your performance. See how interesting that is? Jesus is encouraging them that that is exactly where they are going. And really the heart in one sense of what we need to see comes in verse 21 of chapter 9, uh, up in, sorry, chapter 10, up until verse 24. There Jesus kind of picks up this incredible reality that he's full of joy because people are hearing and responding to this message that is going out. And he is saying this is God's will to reveal the kingdom to the little ones in this world, the humble in this world, those who do not think they know how life ought to work and therefore are arrogant. The wise and the learned, those who are full of themselves, will listen to the gospel and they will giggle and they'll turn away. And Jesus says, Father, I thank you that this is your good pleasure not to reveal the kingdom in me to those who think they know, but only to the little ones, to the ones who know they don't know, to the ones who say, I understand, I do not have a grasp of life. Those can hear that in Christ Jesus, life in its fullness has come. They are the ones whom God actually reveals it to. Because God has given everything into Jesus' hands. You want to see what life looks like on earth now when you look at Jesus Christ. But Jesus has been given everything. So when you see him, you see, God is pulling you. (laughs) He shows you Jesus in his earthly stature, and you see some bits of him. But the fullness of that, you only see as you follow him. So he's pulling you in that direction. 
And Jesus is thanking the Father that he has not made it for those who are wise and learned, those who are full of themselves, who think they actually know how life works and how to live. But those who are aware of their failures and their shame and their brokenness and their frustration, they are the ones to whom the Father says, look, there's my son. He's the hope of the world. Come to him. I have humbled him, but I've given him all things. See, God is again upside down. Jesus comes in humility. God shows his power and weakness. We show our power and power. God says, I'll show you how powerful I am. I'll die. That's how powerful I am. God is upside down. So the arrogant and the full of themselves and those who think they can understand life think this is absolute rubbish. And Jesus says, Father, I thank you that that's your good will not to reveal it to those. For those who say, my life is just so broken and I'm so sad and I'm so confused and I'm so... Look at my son. For you will share all things with him because he is the one who has all things. It doesn't look like it. He's on his way to a cross. He's on his way to humiliation. He's on his way to death. It doesn't look like he knows what he's doing. God... He's rejoicing. So you see, we need to keep your eyes. You cannot see the kingdom of God in life. You can see the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Don't look around life and understand Jesus Christ. I look at him to understand life. See how weird it is? You've got to be very specific, says Jesus. The moment I look at anything else, then I'm going to get myself into some serious trouble and confusion. So as we come to Christ, as we look at him, we, he's revealed and we enter into his way, his humble way. And he's going to turn that around in the next little section. Very familiar little section, the one on the Good Samaritan, isn't it? It doesn't fit into the context. Luke places it in the context because he's trying to bracket the whole thing. The first story started out with Samaritans. The last story ends with a Samaritan. First Samaritans rejected him. The Samaritan is good. So Jesus is annoying Jews. Jesus loves annoying those who think they know. Now listen carefully to the guy, verse 25. This is a religious man, a Jew, who thought he knew. You see, he's arrogant. Look at what it says. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. You see, people ask questions because they think they're intelligent enough that if you can't answer them, they've won. This is what this guy is doing. He's not interested in the truth. He's interested to show that he knows better than Jesus. See how dangerous it is to ask questions? Why are you asking the question? Because you want to know. Or because you think you do know. And therefore, when your question can't be answered, oh, no, no, I have won. And Jesus invites him into a conversation. And he says, well, read what the scripture says. The scripture says, and he quotes it very well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says, great, go and do it. And then the guy says, yeah, but, but who's my neighbor? I want to love my people. Where did the story start? This is not your home, and your family is not your people. Your home is heaven, and the family is those who are in the kingdom. You see where he's going with this? He's flipping everything over. So he tells the story deliberately, but the Samaritan, the hated, being kind and compassionate, and the super-religious priests and Levites fail. Because they say, I know God, 
Therefore, I will love those who are like me. On Jesus' way, you love God by loving those who are not like you. Because that's what Jesus came to do. See, when you follow him in his way, he's upside down. He doesn't associate with those who are like him to the exclusion of everybody else. No, no, he's come for everybody else. Those who think they are in are out. You see how this is upsetting you? Doesn't it upset you? If you think you're in, be careful because you may be out, says Jesus. Can you love those that are not like you? So that's what I've come to do. I've come to, from heaven to all those who are not like me. So on this way, as you proclaim the gospel, you do love people, even if they don't agree with you. So don't call f- fire down from heaven on top of those who don't agree with you. When they have a need, love them and care for them. Whether they agree with you or not. Because you are free. You see what Jesus is saying? How he, Luke closes this thing in for us. It's unbelievable how we tend to do this. Now we are, we are serious people, you know, we love God. Here Jesus says, if you love God, then you love people. Especially those who are not like you and especially those in need. Then you show the love for God that you claim that you have. You see how this works? Jesus is uncomfortable, that guy. You want to follow him? He is very uncomfortable. The more I get to know Jesus, the more uncomfortable I get. He just does not want to tow my party line. He keeps on upsetting the apple cart. Inviting me to be literally different from this world. As if you are from heaven. Like him. Don't live by the standards, the ideas, the perceptions, the expectations of everybody else around you. Because that's what everybody else is doing. On this road, says Jesus, follow me. This is how you follow me. So it's a great story, isn't it? Help you to evaluate. I mean, if you read this, you know, you kind of, we've mentioned stacks of stuff this morning. In your perception, what are you aiming for? Where do you want home to be? Are you upset that it's not here? shouldn't aim that it's here in the first place, says Jesus. You go via, actually, heaven back to earth eventually. So this is incredible. You see the context. That's the scope of what Jesus is saying. And now he's going to give us all sorts of other stuff in between all of this stuff. But this is the kind of the parameter. Kind of sit back and look at the big picture. I'm saying I'm following Jesus. What am I aiming for? Where's my home? Where's my heart? What's my priorities? How do I go about to those who disagree with me? Do I hate them? Do I love them? Jesus says, follow me. Look at me. When you look at me, the Father will reveal me to you. You cannot look at me anywhere else, but look at me. That's what he's saying to them, isn't it? It's a great stuff, isn't it? Are you excited? You're going to have a nice conversation over coffee now? How could we encourage one another? You see, if you failed, if you sit and you say, you know what, I have stuffed up this week big time. Great! There's nothing that God loves more than those who are humble. You say, Lord, you know what? I have aimed for the wrong thing this week. And I had the opportunity to be kind to those who are not like me. And I turned and I walked the other way. I have not followed you on the way. Please forgive me. Give me Christ again. Let him pull me to be like him. 
Because he says, all based on me. I mean, he can say it more and more for us as we go along. I'm not telling you to do it. I mean, and once I don't want to nail my father, but my father every now and again said, don't do what I do, do what I say. I think I've said that to my own kids in more than one way. Jesus never does that. He says, do what I do. Because I have come to do it for you. Now, pass it on to others. Never keep what you've received for yourself. Always give what you've received to others who are not like you. Isn't this good news? Hectic news. I mean, uncomfortable news. It's never nice, but it's good. Let's pray together. On your outline, right at the bottom, I've given you a verse for those of you who know your Bible. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured. So let's keep him in front of ourselves so that we may endure. Make the corrections. Make the course corrections. If you've fluffed off the course, make course corrections. There is still time today. It's good. Make the course corrections. Don't be stubborn. Let's pray. Lord, how much we need to see again the glory of Christ. He just breaks out of all our fears, our concerns, our almost inherent goals. We thank you that he is from heaven. And we thank you that he is pulling us all the way back there so that one day when your kingdom come in all of its fullness, heaven and earth will come together. Lord, we pray that we may be have our eyes fixed on things above. Forgive us where we in this week have set our things on the things below and where we've acted out of our own hearts instead of out of the wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to renegotiate, to put our root back, recalculate, as Siri often says. Recalculate, get back on root. Get back on the way with the eyes on Jesus Christ. So here we are, Lord. We, are, we all have failed in some or other capacity. We're just looking at these six little pictures that we've seen this morning. None of us can stand here and boast. And we thank you that we don't need to. We thank you that you don't actually look at us like that. You've actually sent your son because we fail and we continue to fail in so many ways. And yet... It is as we recognize that and we turn that you are giving us strength to endure, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus till the end. So thank you, Lord, for this great reminder this morning. And we pray this in your great name. Amen.